There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping leaders to cultivate meaning and purpose in the workplace to elicit passion, inspired contribution, and persevering performance within the organization. So I seek out and bring on guests who have a particular perspective, experience, or expertise that I think contributes to or expands this conversation. And as a management consultant and social scientist, I draw on the meaning of work and identity research I've been doing over the last 15 years as well as from my experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with best-selling and award-winning author, transformational speaker, and success coach, Shara Palote-Williamson. We talked about her stance in helping women heal themselves in order to give their best, which cascades to everyone they touch in a profoundly positive way, and some of the examples of how she's helped coach women to live and work from their purpose. It was an incredibly powerful conversation with lots of energy. With us this week is Hugh Welsh, the President and General Counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. Mr. Welsh currently serves on several DSM global and regional management teams and has direct responsibilities in DSM's nutrition and food specialties operations, as well as responsibility for legal, government affairs, corporate communications, other shared services, corporate partnerships, and DSM sustainability, inclusion and diversity initiatives in the region in North America. We'll be talking about DSM's history and path to purpose, how operating for purpose has increased employee engagement and shareholder value, and some of the strategic investments DSM has made across the globe governed by its purpose. He joins us today as he calls in from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Normally, he's based in New Jersey. Wow, he welcome to Working on Purpose. Thanks. That was a mouthful. I, I didn't I, know I had such an eclectic job. Oh, oh, well, I did. I've been following you for quite some time. It's fantastic. Are you kidding? That's why I had to have you on the show. Well, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Well, since we first met you back in, I think it was March, when we when I was moderating, you were speaking on the, the a leadership forum. I have tracked your social media and just been dazzled by everything that you and DSM has been doing, which is why I wanted to have you on the show. So just to give our listeners a little bit of context, I know that if I correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, I believe you have 21,000 employees worldwide and $12 billion in annual sales. And your company, DSM, develops, manufactures, and sells nutritional and food ingredients, biomedical materials, specialty plastics and resins, fibers, and renewable energy. Wow. Is that right? And if so, correct me, add where you need to add to make it, make it complete for us. No, that is correct. It's uh, we're we're essentially the biggest company nobody's ever heard of, and everybody gets a chance to use our products every day. Isn't that amazing? Well, how did the company actually get started? I know you said it had been around for a while. How did it get started? It's it's been around for 116 years, and the acronym wow. DSM actually it stands for Dutch State Mines, and we started out as a coal mining company in the Limburg province of the Netherlands. Uh, so literally digging coal out of the ground as a state-owned company and delivering it to people's homes for, for heating and illumination. And we've, we've come a long way since then. 
Yeah, just a couple of evolutions. And so what I really want to spotlight for our listeners is that you've been able to evolve over time and remain vibrant, not just viable, but vibrant. So how has DSM evolved over time to stay in business as long as it has? Yeah, well, we're certainly out of the coal mining business. Uh, The coal (laughs) is still there, but the mines are closed. Uh, And it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting history. I mean, it's a a Dutch company that uh, endured uh, two world wars, uh, occupation by a foreign power, uh, a Great Depression. And with that comes a lot of grit and resilience and, I think, adaptability. And a lot of those cultural hallmarks, uh, I think, remain with the company today. Uh, additionally, you know, we, we've had to make a number of evolutions over the course of the history of the company. When, when the state says it's going to close down the coal mines, you can no longer be a coal mining company. You have to change. And so we quickly moved into doing things like industrial chemicals, which weren't so different from coal mining uh, and were a way for us to use the, the abilities capacity we had in the company at the time. And that evolution continues. And we like to refer to that within the company as future-proofing, where we look ahead and we try to figure out how the world will change, what the world's changing needs might look like, and adapt uh, not only our strategy, but the portfolio of companies we're in to meet those needs. Mm. The way you say that is so crisp, Hugh. However, I can only fa- can't even quite a fathom and only imagine what it must have taken over these years to to make all of those changes. And maybe if we if we've got a bit of time, I want to get into some of those because what you said about the company having grit and resiliency—it's got to be there for that to happen. I've got to imagine. I'd be curious though too about the handoffs between the between the leadership. So uh, if you have anything to say to that before we get into the next thing about how your purpose began, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, no, it's not easy. Uh, you know, when you, when you evolve from being a coal mining company to an industrial chemical company, that's predominantly still Dutch. And then you make the decision to divest your industrial chemical business and, your, and some of your plastics business and ultimately your pharmaceutical business and your caprolactin business, the things that had defined a generation of the company to move into things like nutrition and biomedical materials and clean energy. That requires a lot of, of the grit that you, you just referred to. Um, a lot of the resilience that you made mention of, because it's, you know, these are tough decisions. The easier decision would just be to maintain the status quo, focus on, on working capital and reducing operating expense and, and doing the best you can. Selling off the old businesses and buying new businesses, I think, takes a little, uh, a little courage. Well, what I think about here is the the t- tremendous amount of chaotic change that had to come with all that. Not only, I can't imagine that all your employees stayed in, intact as those changes took place. And then there were new, wholly different marketplaces and wholly different customers to serve. I mean, that is just an incredible amount of change. Uh, a huge amount of change. And you can imagine that the necessity to keep the, the issue of culture in focus, keep, keep the issue of culture paramount, and the role that purpose plays as sort of the lodestone, the true north in doing that. Well, let's let's get into that. That's one of the main things, of course, that I wanted to chat about. Of course, later on, we'll talk about the employee engagement and the financial piece of this. But you had mentioned to me when we spoke on the phone about this conversation that part of this journey started maybe 11 years ago. So with your new CEO, if I have that right. So if fill it in for us, when did your purpose journey begin? Yeah, I think it began in earnest about 11 years ago when Fika Sibisma was named the CEO of DSM. He had been on the managing board of the company for some time, but was still a relatively young man. Uh, He's a biologist by training. So I think that comes with a little Darwinian perspective on the world. Mm. And 
you know, he, he as, a, as a young CEO, uh, uh, first-time CEO, traveled to Davos, Switzerland for the World Economic Forum meeting. I mean, you have to be a CEO to get invited to a meeting like that with all the movers and shakers of the world. And he listened to a speech by a female leader of an African country who said, you know, you in the Western world are, are terrible people. You keep sending us food. You keep sending us carbohydrates, which keep my people alive but you don't send me nutrition that keeps them healthy and productive. And that leaves me in a worse position than if they weren't fed at all. And it really resonated with him. And afterwards he went and he, uh, he spoke to her and said, look, I'm the CEO of the biggest nutrition company in the world. I think I can help. And she put him off, you know, oh, just another Western CEO that wants a PR you know, opportunity. But, you know, he's a gritty and resilient guy. And so he followed up and ultimately he developed a relationship with the World Food Program, uh, the UN agency that's responsible for delivering food to uh, refugee camps, school feeding programs, and uh, in all parts of the developing world. And we've now had a 10-year partnership with the World Food Program. We help improve the nutrition of the food that they deliver. And I think that that was sort of the catalyst uh, for him, but also for for the whole enterprise on our purpose-led sort of performance-driven journey. I know you can't speak on his behalf, Hugh. However, you might have some pretty keen insight here. Did something get catalyzed in him and what she said? Was that already present for him in terms of his view of how he might be able to help the world and change change the way business is done? What happened there? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, we, we know each other very well. We're actually here together in Halifax uh, uh, for these two days for the G7 of our middle committee meeting. Um, I, I think that uh, it was an intellectual pursuit for him at that World Economic Forum, but it became very, very real and personal to him when we got engaged with the World Food Program. So soon after we, we started, uh, now 10 years ago, with the World Food Program, he traveled to Bangladesh to see a World Food Program refugee feeding program in action. And I, I, it, to this day, I know it's profoundly moved him to where he had young mothers handing their babies to him saying, can you please take my child with you when you leave? You know what will happen if you leave them behind. Oh, and wow. I, I, you know, he's recounted that story countless times when we travel together uh, to town halls, to external, and, and I don't think that you can experience something like that and know that you have within your organization the capacity to change it and not do something. And I, I think he's, he's not been the same since then. So I think that it always existed within him it, was, it took a, an experience like that to catalyze it and, and make, it, uh, make it really the, the, the mission of our organization. That's so gorgeous, Hugh. That's just so gorgeous. For, for those people out there that are out there listening going, wow, you know, how can purpose really make a difference? One, the fact that he had the experience that he did. Two, that he keeps repeating that experience, sharing and revitalizing that story over and over again. That's so important to be able to cascade that kind of a purpose, that kind of a mission within the organization so others who didn't have the experience directly can get it. That's Now I'm starting to see how this is working for DSM. Yeah, no, it, it, and, and it's working, and we need to have it continue work to work for the next 116 years. So for me, it's very <laughs> important that he recalls those stories and recounts those stories to all of our employees when he speaks, because the next generation of leaders needs to have that same um, catalytic experience as well. 
And so, you know, it's, it's, we work very hard, and we'll, we'll touch on this, I hope, at some point. We work very hard to create those, create similar experiences for as many of our employees as we can. So it's not just something that they're told, it's something that they live. And, you know, uh, we, I think that differentiates us from a lot of other companies. Uh, I definitely want to get into that after we take our first break here, but really quick to situate just what you're saying here. Again, for our listeners, I spoke at a, a leadership women conference a couple weeks ago, and there was a woman in the audience, and I'll, I'm sure they don't mind me saying this. They work for a company called Essilor, which treats vision problems. And we were talking about purpose. And she said, oh, I know exactly where I stand in the organization. And I have a mission. I have a purpose to eradicate vision problems, just like my my CEO says. That's what the whole company stands for. And I'm individually connected to that. And I can see how my individual contribution contributes to that purpose. That is so powerful. Absolutely. No, uh, it's, like, so, it's, like the, it's like the parable, right? The three guys that were sitting in front of St. Pat, my beloved St. Yep. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Yep. And they were all breaking stones. And the first one, right, what do you do? I work nine to five and I get a great paycheck. Yep. The second one, what do you do? I break stones. The third one, I build cathedrals. Yeah. Um, that woman and, and all 21,000 in our company, we want them building cathedrals together. Yeah, and that's this. I gave the exact same example when I spoke as well. Here, we're totally on the same page. Well, you know, I've heard you speak before, and when I was talking with people about the show, I said, you know, you know, not only do I know how this guy normally speaks, when, when he talks about what his company's up to in the world, he really comes alive. So, I want to know for you, how does purpose guide you as a leader at DSM? I am the luckiest guy in the world, I guess, after Lou Gehrig. Uh, I get to, to, to deploy my uh, modest and meager skills and talents to do something meaningful, which I like to think is the repurposed meaning of the DSM acronym, to do something meaningful every day, you know, be it opening new facilities in Africa, creating new clean energy programs, uh, working with our government to help mitigate issues like climate change or create a low carbon economy. Uh, but for me, the, the greatest meaning, the greatest purpose I find in my job, you know, it, it came to through time and experience and that it's, it's not my job as a leader in the organization to have all the answers. And I'd always thought it was. It's really to create an environment where everybody has the opportunity to reach their full potential. And mm. at the end of the day, I always think that that's my purpose is to, to create an environment that regardless of, uh, you know, your age, your race, your creed, your national origin, your quirky perspective on the world, you have an opportunity to, to bring your full self to work every day and help us realize our vision and our purpose as a company. Mm. How incredibly beautiful is that, Hugh? And, and I think really what I want to make sure our listeners get is that if they haven't seen you in person like I have, but I think it comes across in your voice, you just live this large. When you come into a room, Hugh, you make the room bigger. And I think, but <laughs> I think that part of the reason for that. I'm not so sure that, about that, but yeah. No, I, I am. I've, 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 I've borne witness to this. I was there. I was present. And I think it's a testament to what it is when we get to live our purpose. In your case, you're working and living your purpose across your whole life, which is when it really is living your purpose. And it shows up in this magnanimous person with lots of energy and passion and purpose so i when we're living that way you're right you are the luckiest guy in the world anybody that gets to work from their purpose is one of the luckiest people on the planet so i want to celebrate that it's beautiful thank you i i, I wake up every morning excited as i uh, as i went to bed the night before 
I think that's a beautiful way to take us into our first break, Hugh. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Hugh Welsh, President and General Counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. He joins us today from Halifax, Nova Scotia, where he's traveling for his work. We've been talking a bit about how DSM began as a company, how it evolved to remain viable and vibrant as it is today, and how it works from purpose and everything that it does. After the break, we're going to talk about the employee engagement aspect of how this purpose has changed them and some of the financial resources they've been results they've enjoyed as a result of, of staying with their purpose stay with us we'll be right back Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Hugh Welsh, President and General Counsel of DSM North America, which is a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. Hugh serves currently as on, on several DSM global and regional management teams and has direct responsibilities in DSM's nutrition and food specialties operations, as well as responsibility for legal, government affairs, corporate communications, other shared services, corporate partnerships and DSM sustainability, inclusion and diversity initiatives in the, in the region of North America. In the beginning, we were talking about how the how the company began and has evolved over the years. In this next segment, what we want to get into is really how the the organization engages with its employees that has resulted in increased employee engagement and also improved financial performance. So, Hugh, so before the break here, so much you've talked about, I just can't even fathom how far this company has come in 116 years and where you are today. I, I can't imagine what it feels like to stand on that mountain. It really, it's impressive. So uh, it comes ta- with a lot of responsibility. I want to be, I want the place to be around for another 116 years, you know? Well, I got that. And that's really what I wanted to say. That's why I gave the description of your responsibilities. And when I, I reintroduced you back, because I want our listeners to understand just what it is that you're up to. It's, it's a big job that you've got there. Um, not for the faint of heart, right? And not for somebody certainly who isn't working from purpose, I don't think. <laughs> No, I don't um, so, think somebody who is not working for purpose could survive in an environment like this. I I tend to agree just from what little I can see from the outside looking in. But, you know, one of the things that really intrigued me about what you said to me when we spoke on the phone in preparation for this conversation was how the employee engagement has increased at DSM. And and I don't know when that started, if it was related to when this when the CEO 11 years began this trek on purpose. I don't know. But would you give us a little bit of story and account for how you've measured your employee engagement? When did you see it start to tick up and to what do you attribute that to? Sure. Now, I've been with the company for 15 years, and I'd love to say that it's all been sort of roses and champagne for that whole 15-year period, but I would be a liar. Um, When I first came to the company, it was right after DSM had made the acquisition of Hoffman LaRoche's Vitamins Business. And so we had one part of the business that was old sort of chemical company, DSM, fertilizer company, DSM, the last remnants of the, the coal mining energy, DSM. And we had just bought um, a, a part of a big global 
Hoffman LaRoche company that was very Swiss, very, uh, very Swiss oriented, very branded. And so you had two, two groups who were very unhappy. One, because they felt as though that they were being pushed out of the company in some respects. And another group, because they had left a, a very proud, long heritage, Hoffman LaRoche for this Dutch company they never heard of. And so at the time, I would say employee engagement was very low. No constituency was happy, and we really didn't have that lodestone, that true north, that central purpose that pulled us all together. And that, that more or less continued as we went through that divestiture acquisition process until the financial crisis, which was you know 10 years ago this week. And that, for me, was as moving and uh, a time when a company's purpose is challenged as, as any other time in not only DSM's 116-year history, but I think any company's history that came out the other side of that. And, and through the financial crisis, we did not go through wholesale reductions in force like many companies did. We did not go through wholesale reductions in employee compensation or benefits. Uh, we stayed the course, and, and we communicated with, company, with employees about that every day. And I think that went a long way to our employee engagement increasing significantly where they believed that we had made an investment in them. They believed that they were the most important asset of the company. And they believed that the mission that we had begun to articulate, the purpose we had begun to articulate with respect to organizations like the World Food Program was real because we didn't cut them like many other companies did in the face of, uh, it's an understatement, but a very uncertain future. You know, so for me, that was how, you know, employee engagement began to tick up. And then with FICA's, purpose and then finding ways for all of the employees in the company to do something meaningful, either through organizations like the, the World Food Program or through Partners in Food Solutions or Vitamin Angels or working with the Ocean Cleanup and a number of other projects that I'm happy to talk about. We found ways for employees to express that purpose in their day-to-day -day jobs. And uh, our employee engagement, as which we measure every year, we're about to go into the next employee engagement survey cycle, is at, uh, as well above industry standard. And, uh, and I think that has a, it plays an important role in the financial results of the company as well. Well, let's talk about that, Hugh. Um, what are you doing to create this environment where people feel like their, their work is meaningful? What, what, what's, what, what are, first, what are you doing as leaders? And then there must be an operational or processes sort of uh, move here to be able to create that, that environment for them. What are you doing? Uh, we, we grossly over-communicate on what the company's strategy is. We grossly over-communicate on what the company's purpose is. We're about to launch another uh, purpose communication uh, project beginning in the new year uh, so that everybody understands why we're in this together. Everybody understands why we're in the businesses we're in and why we're going to get out of the businesses we're going to get out in. So everybody understands the type of people we want to work for our company. And so we grossly over-communicate. So, you know, uh, the CEO and I will do a town hall here at our facility in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia tomorrow afternoon. Then we'll fly to New York and do a town hall for all of our North American operations. It'll be simulcast across 33 sites uh, the following day. And so that level of communication is very, very important to get the employees engaged. But when you have 21,000 employees fired up and excited about the purpose of the organization they belong to, you have to find ways for them to meaningfully exercise that excitement. And so we're, we're, we're a founding member of an organization called Partners in Food Solutions. So we learned through our work with the World Food Program that there is a massive need for better nutrition, better food in sub-Saharan Africa. But you can't count on aid agencies to deliver that. So we wanted to work with local food manufacturers to improve their processes. 
And there was really nobody out there to help us do that. And so together with General Mills and Cargill and Hershey's and Bueller, we formed this organization called Partners in Food Solutions. And what they do is they, they find food manufacturers in Africa who need technical support. They might need an engineer. They might need an expert in, in safety or process engineering or marketing or finance or human resources. And our people in DSM or in Cargo or in General Mills can volunteer their expertise to that local African food manufacturer and do that via Skype or digital photography, however, to help them improve their efficiency, the quality of the food they produce, to meet Western standards so that they themselves can sell to the World Food Programs or the USAIDs or the UNICEFs. And that has become a very powerful tool to get employees engaged in the purpose of the company. We do similar things with, with an organization called Vitamin Angels, where we'll send employees to for a short period of time to work on programs in Honduras or Indonesia. Uh, we'll send folks to, to volunteer to work on things like the Ocean Cleanup, which you may have seen on TV over the weekend launching from San Francisco that DSM was involved in uh, from the very early days. And you know our employees have been involved from the engineering process to the launch out in San Francisco to help clean up the great Pacific garbage patch uh, again just this past weekend. Mm. I want to go to work for DSM. Come on, do you have a do you have a space for me, Hugh? Of course we do. <laughs> it would be so off if you said no, we don't want you to come to work for us, Elise. <laughs> Um, wow, that is so exciting. And so I can imagine that your employees, when they say, you know, who do you work for? When somebody asks them, who do you work for and what do you do? I can hear them saying, I work for DSM. I help eradicate food hunger across the globe. I help clean up oceans. I, I can imagine them saying that. And how powerful is that, that you as an organization are their conduit to something much, much bigger. And that is exactly what I mean is, for me, Hugh, is when you think about how the Gallup organization says that across the globe, only 15% of the globe is fully in engaged and enthusiastic about their work. I think that is such a crime that the other 85% are dragging themselves through Monday through Friday because that's such a waste of a precious life. And we know that in the United States, the employee engagement rate is higher than that. Certainly within DSM, it's higher than that. And you're doing something about that. And I really applaud that. I, this is just makes me happy. I'm so glad to share you with my listeners across the globe. I'm grateful for the opportunity. <laughs> So, so thinking about those those employees, then you talk about what it is that you're doing to help them connect with DSM's purpose and and see their own purpose within it. I know what it looks like when I walk into an employee and an, an engaged workforce. But describe for us, Hugh, what does it look like? What are these employees doing that make us know that they're engaged? On a day to day basis, it's it's crackling with energy, crackling yeah. with passion and and inspiration and creativity. But if I could share with you just a couple of anecdotes to how it moves me personally, uh, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to you do bet. that. I mean, one, Go for me, it. you know, in, in New Jersey, you know, just uh, six years ago, you know, I had just uh, signed a, a big deal, an acquisition of a company, $660 million acquisition of a company called Fortitech. And I was in my office in Parsippany, New Jersey, uh, in um, in October six years ago, and I and I came out and I had, it was an all nighter kind of adventure, and there was nobody there, and it was like a Tuesday afternoon or something, and I turned on the TV and it was the day that Hurricane Sandy was hitting New Jersey, mm. and I panicked. I'm like, oh, what the heck? Nobody's here. This is a building. There should be 500 people in this building today, you know, and I did what any any person does when they're caught in a situation where they don't know what to do. I called my father. 
And uh, he said, you know, you work for this big, fancy multinational company. I'm sure they have a, a crisis management manual. I said, of course we do. Very proud. And I, I ran down the hall. I got it, brought it back. He said, throw it away. I said, what? <laughs> throw it away. It's useless. He said, look, your purpose, your, your job here is easy. You take care of the people. It'll take care of the business. And he hung up. And I was like, great. My dad's like Yoda. You know, he's the knowledge <laughs> dropping on me. But I thought about it. And you know what? He was absolutely right. I had power. I had heat. I had food. I had showers in our gym. I had you know, electricity. And nobody else did. So I started texting all of my management team and said, just bring your people to the building, right? Bring, bring your employees, their families, their kids, their grandparents, whomever. We have heat, shelter, light, electricity, showers, whatever they need. They could stay as long as they want. People started showing up with the families. It was wonderful. And then the magic happened. I didn't even have to ask a single person. They started getting laptops and, and desktops and putting them in conference rooms. We never missed a payroll. We never missed an accounts payable or accounts receivable cycle. It was amazing. In the midst of you know one of the biggest natural disasters to hit New Jersey, we, ne we, we never missed a beat where everybody else was falling away. And to me, that is an engaged workforce. I experienced the exact same thing this past weekend when Hurricane Florence was bearing down on North Carolina and South Carolina, you know, we have big production sites in Greenville, North Carolina, in Stanley, North Carolina, in King Street, South Carolina. And I watched employees, hourly employees who work shift, volunteer to stay with the plant so that other employees who had families could be home with their families to keep them safe while they maintained the safety of our facility and made sure that our customers got product. That is an engaged workforce. Nobody had to ask them. They volunteered to do that. Um, I couldn't be more proud than uh, to work for a company that has people that behave in that way. I'm far more proud than the work we do with the World Food Program or Vitamin Angels or on climate change. You mm -hmm. work for a company where folks step up like that, you can't work anywhere else. A couple things to you. That is a, that's a beautiful way to to exemplify what, is it look, what does it look like to have an, an engaged workforce. So thank you for that. Second, what I want to say and how what I'm hearing and what you just narrated is that you and your organization working from purpose, what that does is it, it allows you to stand from a place of passion and inspiration, and that's irresistible to people. People have a really hard time saying, no, I think I'm good on that. I'm just going to go ahead and turn the TV on instead, right? <laughs> it's, it's really it's hard not, to pass, pass it up. It is authentic, right. and, not, and that's what we're getting PR, to. It's not PR. It's not greenwashing. It's authentic, and... And people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And that's just not cliche. And when you give them an opportunity to do that in an authentic way, they never leave. They don't go work for more compensation. They don't go work for a better job title. They, they work for each other. And uh, it took me a long time to learn that, but I'm happy that I finally did. I am thrilled that you have as well. I know that from my research and the work that I do with organizations as well, Hugh, and that's why so much I wanted to share with my listeners because I think you guys are doing it right. It's just great. And... If we quickly go to the next piece of the conversation that I wanted to get to here, we can actually show that you're doing that, right? Because if, <laughs> this is not just really feel-good stuff, right, and how great it is to come to work, but you have bottom-line results with this that are really impressive. I won't ask you to go into the numbers per se, but you mentioned in our conversation that your revenues and your stock price have, have enjoyed uh, a, a nice hit. Uh, your stock price alone has hit an all-time high. So how do you connect those performance results to your purpose? Yeah, I mean, doing well and doing good aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, our share price closed over 90 euros a share today, 
Uh, it's very close to the all-time high. You know, we reported Q2 earnings back in August. You know, organic sales growth was up over 10%. Adjusted EBITDA was up over 45% year over year. Net profit up over 103% year over year. And 2017 was a record year for us. So business is good. And, you know, I, you know, it, again, it's a cliche, but the biggest asset of any organization is its people. And if you can deploy 21,000 people all pulling in the same direction, you can accomplish anything. And when I look at what we've managed to accomplish, not just over the course of the last 10 years, but really in the course of the last 18 months, it's been magnificent. Mm. Where, you know, many folks had, had seen us as uh, peaking in our operational performance, and we showed that we can do even more. And we continue to do even more. And the, the remainder of, of 2018, I can say, you know, without reservation, is going to be uh, pretty good as well. All of that sounds incredibly compelling to me. Sold, got it. I, I, I'm, I'm on deck. I'm on board. Are there any? You can other go financial? buy GSM shares. You know, on the uh, on the <laughs> stock exchange, or we do have ADRs on the U.S. stock exchange. We just increased our dividend twenty five percent, so it's at a healthy uh, uh, two euro thirty cents a share. It's it's not a bad investment. Then um, I like to get the word out there because I think many folks still see us as a chemical company. Mm-hmm. You know, looking at the long and storied history of DSM, that it's hard to change people's minds that we're a growth company today. And if you look at the businesses we're in, be it in nutrition or food ingredients, biomedical materials, clean energy, these are growth areas. Yet we still trade at a multiple that uh, is more reflective of a commodity-based chemical company. So I'd love to have the opportunity to talk about the financials. It's not always as sexy or as exciting as uh some of the other work we do, but uh, it's just as important. And if we weren't successful in that space, we would never get the opportunity to do the meaningful work in uh, in climate change or nutrition or energy that we do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said, beautifully said, Hugh. And, and of course, part of the reason that I wanted you to talk about that is because I think some people have the, uh, the misunderstanding that purpose is fluffy. They don't understand how it does and can relate to the bottom line, which is another reason that I wanted you to share that part of what you're up to there at DSM. So you've mentioned a lot of things already, but is there, are there any other financial indicators that you connect with your purpose-led efforts or initiatives? Yeah, I mean, just to, to close the, the circle on the last part, I mean, if in DSM it were a fluffy marketing PR thing, then we're failing miserably, and I'm terrible at my job because nobody's ever heard of DSM. So, you know, it's it's certainly not something we're doing from a marketing perspective. Uh, we're really doing it because it's, it's good business, it's smart business, and it's a means by which for us to engage uh, with all of our employees, regardless of their function or the business that they're working in today. As far as other financial indicators, you know, there are a couple. Um, one is uh, putting a price on carbon. And so within DSM, we have an internal uh, price on carbon of, of 50 euros a ton. And so whenever somebody comes to our executive committee with a proposal for a large capital project, so to build a new plant or to open a new operation or to do, do a new deal, right, to, to acquire a company, they have to build into the business case a 50 euro a ton price on carbon. And we see that as a means to future-proof our organization against what will be the next trends. And that is a carbon tax, a price on carbon, a carbon transfer agreement. And when you're working in things where you're deploying a large amount of capital over a significant period of time, you better account for that today. And we see that as not just the right thing to do, we see it as creating competitive advantage for ourselves going forward. Another area would be, without getting too wonkish, you know, we just renewed a billion euro revolver, so our credit facility. And we did it, I think, differently than any company I've ever seen do it. We tied the interest rate, which is floating, not to LIBOR or to the treasury rate, 
but to our greenhouse gas emissions. And we found a syndicate of banks that were willing to, to work with us on that, seeing that our relative risk was just as predictable based on our greenhouse gas emissions as it might be on sort of objective external metrics like LIBOR. I think we're gonna see more of that going forward. And, and I'm pretty proud that DSM had the opportunity to be a thought leader in that area. Mm, this is just exhilarating you. I love every bit of this. It's so great what you're sharing with our listeners. And I love the fresh perspective and the ways you're looking at how to contribute to the world and also be able to, to bring in real measures of how this actually shows up for you in relation to what you're up to for your objectives and for your bottom line. Gorgeous share. Thank you so much. Thanks again for the opportunity. Yep, you're welcome. Let's grab our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Hugh Welsh, who is the president and general counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. He joins us today from Halifax, Nova Scotia, normally coming from New Jersey. He's he's traveling today. We've been talking a bit about how purpose infuses everything that they do and, and impacts and increases employee engagement and financial results. After the break, we're going to talk about their approach to global investments from their stance of purpose. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Hugh Welsh, President and General Counsel of DSM North America, a global leader in life sciences and material sciences. Mr. Welsh currently serves on several DSM global and regional management teams and has direct responsibilities in DSM's nutrition and food specialties operations, as well as responsibility for legal, government affairs, corporate communications, other shared services, corporate partnerships, and DSM sustainability, inclusion, and diversity initiatives in the region of North America. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, we were talking about all of that really yummy employee engagement stuff that that shows up and and how your company is run and the gorgeous financial results that come from that. Next, I want to get into how purpose governs how you choose your investments across the globe and some of the impact that that's had. So um, one of the things that that you said to me when we were were chatting on the phone, Hugh, was you, you, you said that... Um, you talked about how your purpose-driven initiatives are tied to compensation. That's very compelling. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think that really sets us apart from from everybody else, not just in the public company space, but but generally. And you know, this is really where rhetoric uh, is different than remuneration. And when you want to talk about the eleven-year journey and driving purpose in the organization, Bottom up, it was pretty easy by by working on employee engagement, talking about communications, creating opportunities for all employees to do something meaningful. But you also have to break through another constituency, which is the executives that run run the company, that run the plants, run sales and marketing, run commercial management. 
And, you know, they hear this purpose talk and, and many of them are from ex, you know, outside the company, either came to DSM through acquisition or, or were hired by DSM. And, you know, almost to a person, you know, they say, yep, yep, I heard this before. I heard this corporate social responsibility stuff before. Great, you know, you corporate folks, you know, carry on with the good work. And then they're immediately <laughs> struck with it with a new reality. And the reality is that half of their short-term compensation, which is their annual bonus, and half of their long-term compensation, their stock options, aren't tied to financial performance. They're tied to sustainability targets. They're tied to things like employee engagement. They're tied to things like reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, reduction in wastewater, reduction in plastic, reduction in the number of materials we send to landfill. And I could go on and on with with the different metrics that apply. And that is a wake-up call for your, the executive community like you would never believe. Because all of them immediately throw their arms up in the air. I'm not here to work on this stuff. I'm here to work on EBITDA or working capital. And we have to tell them, no, you're not. You are, of course, here to work on those things. And you're going to help us make the world a better place by being an example and delivering against these other metrics as well. And you can imagine that did not go down so easily when we first introduced this new uh, compensation system. But today, I think it's a differentiator for us that not only creates better leaders, but attracts better leaders to come to work for our organization. Um, Folks come to work for us that are super talented because they want targets like that, not because they want to avoid them. And, you know, I'm proud that, you know, some years I don't get my full bonus because we didn't hit our greenhouse gas emission target or renewable energy target. And that inspires me to to be more creative and more innovative in, in finding different ways we can do those things that, um, that you know, we might not have thought about uh, without, without it being top of mind because of compensation. Um, just one simple example is, you know, we have a, a manufacturing plant in Belvedere, New Jersey, which makes vitamins. You know, it makes uh, nutritional mixes, vitamin B complex, uh, arachidonic acid, which goes into things like infant formula. And that plant today has a solar field that produces a massive amount of renewable electricity. And soon, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have a second solar field, which will at peak capacity generate 100% of the electricity needed to run a manufacturing plant. It will be the biggest solar field on the, you know, east of the Mississippi, other than one that Apple has in South Carolina. Now you don't get that kind of commitment, that kind of capital commitment, engineering commitment, et cetera unless you have tied to the plant manager's bonus, a sustainability target. So, I mean, it's a a little bit long-winded, but it's something I'm very excited about. And I think as we all collectively try to reimagine capitalism, this is one of the things we should be thinking about. Oh, my gosh, that is spectacular, Hugh. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody articulate the breadth and depth of how you are literally living and breathing and working from a purpose vantage point. It's really exactly what I was hoping in this conversation. So thank you, Hugh. It's just terrific. So we've got not too much time left here. So I just want to hear maybe, let's talk about if we can, one of your investments across the globe that I know that you mentioned is is definitely from a purpose-driven stance. And that's the Africa Improved Foods Consortium Partnership in Rwanda, if I've got that right. Will you say a little bit about this initiative and its impact? How did it start? What are you doing? How is it impactful? Sure. I mean, so so, through our, our experience with the World Food Program, we came to understand the need uh, for better nutrition in the developing world and that, you know, a significant 
we're talking hundreds and hundreds of millions of children in the world never have an opportunity to reach their full potential because they, they're stunted uh, simply because they don't get enough nutrition. They might get enough calories, but they don't get enough vitamins, minerals, enzymes, etc. And we, we have the ability to fix that at a very low cost. We try to do that through Partners in Food Solutions, and we continue to do so by trying to build up African businesses to produce at a higher quality, a higher safety standard, et cetera. Uh, but we can never get them to scale. And so we, we thought, why don't we build a nutritious food manufacturing plant in Africa? And President Kagame in Rwanda uh, talked to us. He talked to me, and he said, you know, look, I have the highest childhood stunting rate in sub-Saharan Africa at 36%. I could spend all the money in the world on infrastructure, on roads, electricity, et cetera, but if my children still fail to reach their full potential at that level, it will mean nothing. Can you build your first facility in Kigali? And we said, okay, now it's not the biggest market. Now, Ethiopia might've made more sense or Nigeria, but it's where the biggest issue was. And so together with some non-traditional partners like the CDC in the UK, FMO in the Netherlands, IFC, which is the development arm of the World Bank, we built what we call now African Proof Foods Rwanda. And we built a large-scale uh, food manufacturing plant. It produces a porridge uh, that's fortified with all of the requisite vitamins, minerals, et cetera. And a portion of that is sold to the World Food Program, which they use in their school feeding programs and, and refugee camps. A portion is sold to the government of Rwanda, which it uses in its own school feeding programs. And then a lot of it's sold on the public market because this isn't a charity, this isn't a philanthropy, it's a for-profit enterprise. Because we know if it's not for profit, it can't be sustainable. And we employ 400 Rwandans that work in the facility. All of the raw materials are locally sourced. So the maize, the soy comes from 10,000 Rwandan smallholder farmers, which we also think raises the entire economy of Rwanda. And we've seen that already. We've seen a, a significant production increase in agriculture in Rwanda as a consequence. And today, we're, you know, we fed two and a half million Rwandan children through this facility. And what we think the beauty is, is not only the, that it's a profitable enterprise, but it's replicable. That you can do the same thing in a place like Ethiopia or Zambia or Uganda. And we look forward to, to working on that uh, down the road and hopefully attract some more private sector partners to do that with us. That is breathtaking, Hugh. And it, when I when I hear the that that narration, what I really get present to is just the power of, and possibility of what we really can do at work. That's my domain. That's what I. That's what fires me up. And I, you are giving us a whole view, a vantage point of possibility that I think a lot of listeners have probably never had access to. So beautiful share. We are already almost out of time. It, it just evaporates, doesn't it? And I would love to have yeah. you back because I know we're, we're not, I, we didn't get even, even close to the surface with you, but you know what the show is about, Hugh. This show is about helping listeners across the globe more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equip leaders to be able to cultivate meaning and purpose in the workplace to elicit that passion that you've been talking about, that inspired contribution, persevering performance. What would you like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, that the, the world is changing faster than management practices. That we, you know, uh, I'd like to, you know, say that DSM stands for do something meaningful, but uh, you know, look, that that applies to anybody in their job in any enterprise anywhere in the world. That if you're not doing something meaningful, find something else to do. Um, capitalism is about to re- be reimagined. Uh, investors are asking for more purpose-driven companies because they see that uh, the long-term returns of companies that embrace these practices is far superior to than those who are operating quarter to quarter. Um, 
I'd encourage people to, to take a little bit of a risk. I don't think it's as big a risk as it might seem at first glance. And to never forget that if you're in a leadership position, that it's your job to create an environment where everybody has the opportunity to reach the full potential. And, you know, we met at a, at a women's leadership uh, conference in Philadelphia in the pharmaceutical industry. And it's an issue that's become uh, very important to me, more now so than ever, because as a leader, it's my job not to just deliver the bottom line, but to deliver the next generation of leaders that don't all look like me. And that requires uh, reimagining our approach to work a little bit. So it sounded a little long-winded, but I think it's apropos for somebody with as long a title, it seems, as I have. Um, I just encourage everybody to do something meaningful, find their own purpose, and work for an organization that's purpose-driven. Beautiful way to finish you. I really want to thank you so much for sharing your heart, soul, spirit, and purpose with me and our listeners. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. Thanks. If you want to learn more about DSM, Hugh Welsh, or the work he and his team are doing across the globe to make the world a better place, visit their website. It's just simply dsm.com. Think about that. Do something meaningful, like he said, is what it stands for. That's one of the acronyms. And join us next week when we talk with Aaron Hurst, who is the author of The Purpose Economy and the founder of the widely successful Taproot Foundation. We'll be talking about his book and why he believes we are now living in the age of purpose. See you there. Remember that work is at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>